The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Are you ready for that judgment day? I've grown up as a pleaser of men. I've had to confess that before the Lord, and He has changed me so that I no longer am a pleaser of men. What I'm going to share with you today may be very difficult for some of you, but I'm not willing I am not willing to soften down the gospel message. The gospel message is so awesome. It is so wonderful. It is about our being set free from every trap of the devil. But it requires that we die, that we be crucified with Christ. It is not casual. Some men spend their time fishing. They want to spend time in their fishing boats out on the water. Some people like to backpack and hike. Some people like to kayak. Some people are bike riders and others are collectors, and some just have ambition to make money and live a comfortable lifestyle. 
But how much time, how much attention are you giving to being ready for that judgment day? We all will face the judgment day. And now we have the coronavirus. We have the stock market crashing. We have great crisis with weather, food shortage, looming starvation even in America. What are you going to do with the judgment? Now, I'm calling this message today, Don't Insult the Spirit of Grace. I'd like to pray with you before I begin. Lord, would you unfold, Jesus, would you unfold this message for us today? I know it will be of no value if the Holy Spirit doesn't quicken it in the heart of each person who listens. Lord, let me not be contentious in any way, but simply lay out the plain truth as it's given to us in the Word of God. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I heard a man speaking about Ephesians. No, I'm sorry, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 26. And I was so disturbed by what he said about it. As I prayed it through, it was clear I needed to come on the radio and address this issue because many of you have been deceived about the book of Hebrews. Now, I admit to you that I have spent a great deal of time in the book of Hebrews over the years. It's not a book that's often preached from, except the 11th chapter, of course, the faith chapter, and a few other select morsels are taken out of the book of Hebrews. But the whole of Hebrews is usually not dealt with in our culture today. But this verse specifically In chapter 10, verse 26, let me read it for you. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now, even very conservative Biblical commentators soften this passage and say things about it that are simply not in the Scriptures. I am not going to do that. I'm not going to soften this passage to make it acceptable to you. I want you to hear the plain spoken word of God as it's given in the book of Hebrews. He says, if we deliberately, that is, if we intentionally, and all sin is intentional, there is a voluntary aspect to all sin. Now, we all fall short of the glory of God, but in Scripture, that is not referred to as sin. Sin is the deliberate 
turning away from the living God of heaven. It is going my own way. It is making my own choices and my own decisions outside of the rule of Almighty God. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, and I know that many of you today know what your preacher says, you know what you've been taught, but it's not in accord with the scriptures. And we have to come back and not allow ourselves to believe what we've been taught, but to believe the written scriptures. The Bible is the inspired word of God. It is the final authority for all doctrine and all truth. So if I come to this passage and I soften it, then I have sinned. No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And this preacher said, you're not an enemy of God if you love Jesus. Well, that's not necessarily true. An enemy of God is one who breaks his law who walks in deliberate disobedience before God for any reason. That makes you an enemy of God. Now, what I'd like to do is walk with you quickly through the whole of the book of Hebrews up to this point. I want to show you something very specific. If we deliberately keep on sinning, what is the sin that is spoken of in the book of Hebrews. There is only one sin spoken of in chapters 1 through 10. Let's find it. In chapter 1, we're told that God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven, Jesus on the cross provided purification for all sin. But he did not redeem us at the cross. He simply provided the purification. And now it's up to you and me to come to Jesus and repent and turn from our wickedness and be redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, transformed into a new person. Remember Paul in Galatians said, I am crucified with Christ. Not I, I live, but not I. It's Christ that lives in me. This is the converted man. This is the saved man. This is the man who has been transformed by the blood of Jesus, by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The rest of chapter 1 deals with who this 
Jesus is and the glorious, the glorious truth that Jesus is God. Now, chapter 2, he begins, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard. And God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He's saying, look, at Pentecost, everything was confirmed. It was made plain to us. Now, if we go to verse 10, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. We must be made perfect. We must be made holy, pure, clean. Now, it's interesting that Charles Wesley, speaking about this, says that perfection is simply love. Love. Love toward God and love toward our fellow men. In chapter 3, He begins to deal with what the sin is of chapter 10. I'm going to read for you verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years. They saw what I did. That is why I was angry with this generation, or that is why I was grieved by this generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not the ones Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, 
whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now we're going to find that the sin that is spoken of over here in the 10th chapter, verse 26, is the sin of unbelief. That's at the very core of what God hates. Now if we go to the 4th chapter of the book of Hebrews, he expands this. He said they did not combine what they were told with faith. Let me be very clear with you. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot make yourself holy. You come to Jesus. You confess your sin. You repent of it and turn aside from it and cling to Jesus. And by his amazing and wonderful grace, he will make you holy. You will not continue in your wickedness. You will not continue continue in your sin. When God looks at you, he's not going to see Jesus. He's going to see you transformed by the blood of Jesus. He's going to see you walking clean before him. He's going to see you as a redeemed saint because that is what you will be if you have confessed your sin and repented and been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Today, he says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. The word of God judges our thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You can't fool him by saying, Oh God, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. I have his imputed grace. No, you don't. You can't impute righteousness. You can only be made righteous. People say, oh, but wait a minute. It was all accounted righteousness for Abraham. No, if you look carefully at that, that term is an accounting term. It means to add up what was in Abraham. Abraham obeyed the Lord and left Haran 
and went on pilgrimage to Cana land. He obeyed the Lord in every respect. When the Lord spoke to him, he obeyed the Lord. That was counted as righteousness. It was empowered by the Holy Spirit in his heart. God spoke with him. Did Abraham sin? Yes. When he married the Egyptian who was the servant of Sarai, God didn't speak to him for 13 years. And after he came back and spoke with him, he sent him to offer his son Isaac on the altar of burnt offering. And as Abraham was about to lower the knife and take his son's life, the Lord stopped him and said, I see that you will obey. Oh, he was counted as righteous because the power of God was moving in him and causing him to walk righteously before a holy God. But back to Hebrews. Let's look at verse 15 of chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul tells us that it's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Grace is never in Scripture a covering for our sin. It is that which, by the grace of God, points it out and enables us to leave that sin. Now in chapter 5, he speaks about the high priest and he emphasizes the wondrous work of Jesus in the high priestly office. But then chapter 6 Well, let's not leave 5 first. Let's go to verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, that is, about Jesus' reverent submission and his being made perfect by that reverent submission, offering up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Jesus took this very seriously, and he had to. If he sinned against the Lord God of heaven, his sacrifice would not have been acceptable. But Jesus did not sin. Verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Any person who says, when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. Any person who says, righteousness has been imputed to me, is still an infant on baby milk. They may love Jesus. 
but they've got to grow up. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, anyone who is still on that milk does not understand the teachings about righteousness. Verse 14, But solid food is for the mature, who by consistent use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. A mature Christian is one who knows the difference between good and evil. And they begin to have a very refined sense as the Holy Spirit dwells in them. They begin to understand, don't go there, don't say that, come this way. The Holy Spirit begins to direct every step of their life. And as he directs them, they become more and more experienced with the ways of God, turning away from darkness and turning to the light. They become spirit-filled, holy men and women, mature adults. Now he says, therefore, chapter 6, let us go on from these elementary teachings about, about Christ about repentance, about acts that lead to death. Let's go on to maturity, he says. Now, what is maturity for him? Well, maturity is entering into the very heart of Jesus and Jesus entering very much into our lives and making their dwelling place in us. Chapter four, 6, verse 4, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. He's speaking here about the mature, who have tasted the goodness of God, who know the ways of God, who have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit, if they turn, there's no longer any any sacrifice for them. That's not the case for most of you listening because you've never gone on to maturity. You've never gone on in righteousness. You're in the process or you're in rebellion, one of the two. But let me read for you verse 7. This is chapter 6, verse 7 of Hebrews. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed, and in the end it will be burned. So you're the land. And he's saying, if you haven't gone on to maturity, if as the word of God falls on your heart, you just continue to produce thorns and thistles, you don't surrender to the word, you don't surrender to Jesus, you don't turn aside from the wicked ways of this world, but you say, oh, I'm saved because Jesus did it all on the cross. He forgave my past, present, and future sins. Anyone who says that, is still a baby in the things of God. 
anyone who makes that claim of imputed righteousness is an immature man or woman and in grave danger of being burned. He says, we want, in verse 11, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. There's no understanding in the book of Hebrews that you can say, I'm saved, my sins are all forgiven, past, present, and future, and I'm free to go on sinning and I'm still saved. No. Only a baby in Jesus would say such a wicked thing. If you look with me, verse 18. Well, let's go to verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. He did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. It's by a promise and by an oath. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. That is, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek for us. So, those who say that they were saved past, present, and future, that Jesus' work was all done at the cross, they deny the work of Jesus that is ongoing in the heavenly sanctuary where he redeems men one at a time and applies his precious blood to wash and cleanse them by the power of the blood and by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. To believe that you were forgiven past, present, and future sins is to insult the Spirit of grace. It is to trample on the blood of Jesus. Now, when we move forward... I want to read for you chapter 7, verse 25. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Verse 25, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, he talks about the heavenly sanctuary. I'm not going to go into that today. It's a whole message in itself. But I want to instead go forward to chapter 9, verse 14. 
He's talking about the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers. And they are ceremonially cleaning, but they do not clean from sin. They were declared righteous, but in the new covenant we are made righteous. Verse 14, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God to cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. In other words, he's cleansing us, making us clean by his blood. Now we come to the very heart of it, and I'm going to spend the rest of our time together today on the last part of chapter 9 and chapter 10. Let's begin reading with chapter 9, verse 26. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. He's talking about if he had to offer himself time after time after time. It says, But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's God's intention. Pardon me. It's God's intention to remove all sin from your life. (coughs) Pardon me. It's God's intention to deliver you from sin. Now, if you say, I'm forgiven past, present, and future, then I don't need to be delivered from my sin. I can continue in it and claim the grace of God like a blanket covers me and I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. That's totally false. It's baby theology that I just shared out of Hebrews. It's not understanding. Listen. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Now that word, take away, in the Greek, means literally Christ was sacrificed once to lift up off of. If I set a glass down on the table, put the glass on the table. If I pick the glass up and I move it to another location, it's no longer there. It's been picked up and moved. That's what these words take away in the Greek literally mean, to pick up, to move. Christ was sacrificed to pick up off of you your sin. He will appear a second time not to bear sin, that is in the Greek, apo, to separate from or to take it apart from you. There are some who say, when I die, I'll be made righteous. Wrong. 
When you die, if you're unrighteous, you'll still be unrighteous, and you'll go to hell. You have to allow Jesus to lift up off of you all of your sin, all of your sinful actions, all of your wicked thoughts, all of your bitterness, all of your anger. You have to let Jesus pick up off of you all of the craziness of of the devil. Because when he comes back, he's not coming to make... He's not coming to a sponge or to make that sin disappear. He's not coming to offer a sacrifice or to use his blood to remove that sin. No, when he comes, it says, is to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, when you come to chapter 10, Chapter 10, first he says in verse 8, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Because that one sacrifice allows us to be made holy. If you look at Second Peter, keep your finger there in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. If you look at Second Peter, I want to read this for you. Verse 17, this is the Second Peter, the second chapter. I'll begin with verse 17. These men are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Black darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those lives of error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. So Peter's saying the same thing that the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying. You have to be made holy. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. The great sin is unbelief. Verse 19 of chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great 
priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, that is, with a heart that's not cracked, a sincere and honest heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I've come today to encourage you to turn aside from all sin, to recognize that you cannot be saved as long as you're struggling and sinning. Now, yes, there is a a struggle that we must go through. And that struggle is to repent to confess our sins and enter fully into Jesus, into his rest. You cannot overcome your sin by your own strength and your own power. You're going to need the mighty power of God released in your life. And our Lord is willing to release in you his mighty power to overcome all sin. Remember, Sin is not an accident. John Wesley said, Sin is not an infirmity. Sin is not accidental. Sin is a choice. To turn aside and watch the darkness on the entertainment, to turn aside and not read the word, to turn aside and not spend time in prayer. Sin is a decision to be bitter and angry, to be sexually unclean. Sin is a decision. One person said, Pastor, things happen. I said, no, 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 no. Things don't happen that cause us to sin. We sin because we chose to make them happen. We chose to turn off our conscience and to rush into that wickedness, to rush into that violent video game, or to rush into some other wickedness turning aside from the light, walking in the darkness. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, if we deliberately keep on sinning, if we deliberately continue to do these things and lust after them, it's not a a one-time deal. It's a pattern of our life that we establish. If we sin, First John tells us that we can repent and we will be forgiven 
and cleansed of all unrighteousness. That's a glorious promise. But if you have believed the lie that you don't have to worry about sin and you can continue walking in your struggle with pornography or your struggle with tobacco or alcohol, I was deeply concerned of a man I've been talking to about Jesus. I was at his workplace, and I, I'm also friends with his boss. And his boss said to me, Pastor, I'm very concerned about that man. I don't think he's going to make it. I said, Why are you concerned about him? He said, because any time things don't go right, he immediately goes and gets drunk. And the next time he gets drunk and comes to work, I'm going to have to fire him. And I know he needs this job, but I can't keep him on the job when he's drunk. I thought to myself, that's exactly the way it is with God. He can't have us going to heaven drunk. Drunk on anything. Drunk on sin. Drunk on bitterness, anger. Drunk on alcohol. Drunk on a wild life. A life of partying, clubbing. He can't take us to heaven like that. Can you imagine what would happen in heaven if if he were to bring people like that into the holy place? Very quickly, heaven would become like earth, filled with violence. He'd have earth all over again. He can't afford that. It's cost him too much. It cost him his son's life. It cost him Jesus. So if we deliberately continue sinning, saying, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to continue embezzling the money. I'm going to continue scheming to get rich. I'm going to continue treating my wife like she's my slave. I'm going to continue treating my husband like he's a monster. I'm going to continue yelling and screaming at the kids. I'm going to continue walking in sin before God and I'm okay because Jesus died for me and I'm, I am okay. God, when he looks at me, doesn't see me, just sees Jesus. You are a baby in Jesus. And you're either going to have to grow up quickly or you will be lost and you will be burned at the end of time. Now is the time to get right with God. Now is the time to not insult the Spirit of grace, but to turn. Listen. Listen as I just slowly read this passage. Don't add any of your own interpretation. Let the literal word of Scripture be the truth to your heart. 
if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God under the foot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, who has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous ones will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. The sin that is spoken of in the book of Hebrews is unbelief, refusing to turn from sin and trust in the power of God to accomplish His will in your life. If you insist that you cannot leave your sin... You are lying to yourself. You can leave your sin because Jesus made the provision on the cross for you to leave your sin. He made provision for you to be redeemed, transformed, made into a new creature in Christ Jesus. All that is necessary for your salvation was provided by Jesus at the cross. The question is, will you humble your heart? Will you repent before him? Will you renounce your sin? The attitude of hardness, the attitude of bitterness, the lusting after things and money. Will you repent of your anger? Will you turn now to Jesus? Almighty God, I have spoken faithfully the word you gave me today. I pray that every person listening 
will take this warning in the serious nature in which it was given, with love and kindness, but very serious. Lord, would you bring deep conviction to the heart of each person and turn them from sin to righteousness, from darkness to light, from the devil to you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening. Send this message to someone that you think it would be helpful for. I'd love to hear from you. We're in the last week of the month, and we are still at least $1,900 short of having what we need to cover this month's radio bill. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and I want to thank a dear sister, a brother, who went to that webpage last week and encouraged my heart by sending a very wonderful offering. One sent an offering by mail for $7, another $100, another on the internet for 300 Thank you. Thank you. Stand with me for righteousness. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'll talk to you soon.